Anyway, we're going to talk about, last Sunday we looked at God's definition of marriage. We looked at divorce. Uh, Pastor Jackson did a fantastic job of handling that. And uh, it can be a sensitive subject, obviously we know that. And, uh, but we also, we go through the uh, book of scripture, uh, we deal with it as God brings it to uh, our, our hearts and our minds. And uh, we're not afraid to deal with that. But we'll look at really what it means to uh, trust Jesus Christ and, and minister to children. What an awesome thing to see a young uh, 10-year-old uh, get baptized this morning. We have several more, I think uh, eight or 10, getting baptized next Sunday. And uh, if you want to uh, talk with us about that, we'd love to talk with you after the service today. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, we're going to jump right into our text. It says, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he said he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts through these next few moments? Would we focus our attention on your word? And Lord, the opportunity, the privilege, and the responsibility we have to teach children how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. God, I pray for moms and dads, for grandparents that are in the building today, God, that we would take seriously the responsibility to to bring our children into that point, that place where they understand who Jesus is and the desire that he has to have a personal relationship with each one of us. God, would you speak to hearts? Would you radically transform lives? God, we'll be careful to give you the honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus' name, we pray. All of God's people said, amen. Parents, we're supposed to teach our kids. We teach our kids uh, kids uh, about God, about how to have a relationship with Jesus. And this morning as we study in our text, we'll see, first of all, it's good for parents to bring their children to Jesus. It's good for parents to bring our children to Jesus. It's not the church's job to do all of the training of our kids. In fact, as a dad, as a father, if you're Chris, you're a dad... You have a responsibility to teach your girls how to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, and it's our responsibility. Uh, we will stand before God in that can- and give an account for how we taught our kids, how we brought them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And In Mark chapter 10, it says the people were bringing their kids to Jesus. It doesn't identify who they were, but we can assume it was parents it was grandparents. Uh, how many are, where are our grandparents in the building this morning? Any, any grandparents in the house? Lord, raise them up loud and proud, all right? Uh, don't be ashamed. Some of you are like, man, uh, but no, this is Grandparents Day today. Happy Grandparents Day. Let's give them all a hand and uh, celebrate our grandparents. And uh, we are excited to have them in the building this morning. But it's good for parents. It's good for grandparents to bring their children to Jesus. It's our responsibility to teach them how to have a personal relationship with them. And it's important for parents to to bring them to church, to have that spiritual training. And and you want them to hear those stories of the gospel. You want them to hear the stories of the miracles, of the ministry of Jesus as he walked the earth, as he healed the sick, the lame, the blind, raised people from the dead. You want them to have a personal relationship and realize 
Jesus still performs miracles today. Do you believe that, church? Wow. I know it's raining outside, but do you believe Jesus still performs miracles? Absolutely. And if you don't, you need to get saved because that's the very first miracle is when you understand what Jesus did and, and dying on the cross, rising victoriously from the grave. Hey, he saves even the most uh, wicked and vile sinner. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of the worst. And yet Jesus Christ still loves and still saves. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us to seize every opportunity as, as a mom, as a dad, to teach your kids when you're rising up in the morning, when you're uh, sitting down for a meal, when you're going, riding in the car. Obviously, I didn't have cars in Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you're riding on, on a donkey or a horse or on a chariot, as you're, as you're talking along the way, as you're going to school, as you're having dinner as a family, talk about God and his love and the relationship he desires. Talk to him about church. That's why whenever we do a, a communion as a church, we allow your family to come up and get the elements together. And you can take communion as a family. And it's, it's an awesome experience to see how God has equipped us and given us a responsibility to teach our kids about Jesus. They, kids want to grow up. They want to understand how to have a relationship with God. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Many parents misunderstand this verse. They think if we indoctrinate our kids, if we beat them within an inch of their life, you know, they're going to choose to follow God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying train them, teach them, lead them lovingly into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not going through basic training in our house. They're not joining the Marines or the Air Force or the Navy. Uh, some of you, uh, they think that's what that means in Proverbs 22, 6. But what he, literally, he's, the word here is used by Hebrew midwives that would deliver babies. They would roll their forefinger in a mixture of olive oil and sweet crushed dates. And they would slip the finger in the infant's mouth and massage the palate and it stimulated that sucking instinct. They were creating in the baby a desire for nourishment. Our job as parents, our job as grandparents, is to create within our kids a desire for the things of God. So you take them to church. You lead by example. You pray before the meals. And then when they're able to understand, you allow them to pray for the meals. You pray before you go to bed at night. You pray before a big test or before a big game or before a play or before taekwondo or whatever it is that your kids do. You pray with them. You teach them how to trust God. When you're struggling financially or, or, or health-wise, you trust God. If you have COVID, you trust God and you pray and you, and you teach your kids to trust God during these moments of life. Cultivate a desire for God. Once you create that desire in, 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 within a heart of a child to know God, it's something you can't ever get enough of. They're wanting to know more. They're wanting to have their own Bible. They're wanting to have their own relationship with God. You're wanting to teach them so when they get to the age of understanding to place their faith and trust in Jesus, they too will choose to follow Jesus. They too will choose to follow his example through baptism. They will want to share their faith with their friends or with their family and all of that. I love to hear stories of how young people come to faith in Jesus. Steve Ursland, one of our uh, deacons, uh, accepted Christ as, at summer camp as a teenager. 
He went home and led his brother to faith in Jesus. Then he led his father and his mother to Jesus. And to this day, he still loves going to teen camp because he said it had such a profound impact on his relationship with God and ultimately his entire family coming to faith in Christ. And folks, what happens is as we're teaching our kids to have that relationship with God, folks, it's infectious. It carries out, spills over to everyone around it. They might fight against us at times. They might rebel against God at times. But the desire that's created within the heart of a child as a young baby ultimately leads them to desire the things of God. Secondly, Jesus warns against hindering children from approaching it. He says his parents that brought these children, the disciples started acting like bodyguards. They're like, hey, you need to back off. You need to leave Jesus alone. He's important, and he's here to minister to the adults, the important people. Jesus is like, hold on a second. Verse 13, the disciples rebuked them, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, verse 14 says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Before we get too hard on the, on the disciples, we're told in verse 1 that Jesus and his disciples had left Judea. They were on the other side of the Jordan River, and they were in the land of Perea. These people were not Jews. They were in a Gentile area. And the disciples assumed Jesus didn't want to waste his time on Gentile children. They're like, they're, they're considered on the other side of the tracks. And you have to think of the, uh, the, the social norms in that day. The, 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 uh, all of the, um, it's hard to wrap our minds around because we teach against racism. We teach against prejudice. And, but folks, in those days in Jewish culture, it was very prevalent. It was something that was just commonplace. And uh, during the first century of the Roman Empire, Children were not valued. In Roman times, uh, in that culture, uh, there was a preserved papyrus letter that was written by a Roman soldier to his wife. She was expecting a child. Her husband writes, if our child is a son, keep him. But if our child is a female, throw it away. How many of you here have daughters? All right. Imagine. Fast forward to 2022, imagine, it's mind-blowing, but folks, in that culture, they're like, if it's a boy, keep the baby. But if it's a girl, discard her. She's not wanted. She's trash, so to speak. And they lived in an age with throwaway kids. But do you realize, fast forward to 2022, we live in a culture today where people will go in and have ultrasounds to decide if they want to keep the baby or not. Well, it's, if it's a girl, that's what we're really hoping for. Or if it's a boy, that's what we were praying for. That's what we wanted. But otherwise, get rid of it. God help us. I've talked to the lady who did my wife's uh, ultrasounds when she was pregnant with all four of our children. And she said, you wouldn't believe the parents that come in and they want to know the sex of a child to decide if they're going to keep the baby or not. You know what happens is we live in a culture that's so far from God that now we're thinking, well, if it's the sex we want or if there's absolutely nothing wrong with this baby, we will keep it, otherwise terminate it. It's just a fetus. It's just a, a clump of cells. And 
No, it's a child that's created in the image of God. He created it in the image of God. And folks, they have to deserve every chance, every opportunity to, to know God, to choose to follow God. God calls them children created in his image. But Jesus loves the little children, even Gentile children and all of the children of the world. And folks, if we don't see a child in the womb is made in the image of God, we will never value them when they come out of the womb. Why is murder so rampant? Why is manslaughter so Why are all these things happening across our world? Because we've devalued life. We have taken out the cause that Jesus created us in the image of God. If you go back just one chapter to Mark chapter 9, whoever calls as one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Talked about this a couple Sundays ago. The picture of the millstone, hundreds if not thousands of pounds. It would be better if you were pushed over with one of those millstones attached to a rope around your neck than to cause one of these little children to, to stumble. I shudder every time I think of how wicked people are enlisting children into child pornography and sex trafficking. And folks, that's happening right here in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's happening in countries all around the world where people are swept up into this, and, it, and it's sickening to see. Folks, we have a responsibility not to be a stumbling block, but to lead young people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every year at Kids Blast, we have kids that come to faith in Christ and we'll have a conversation with the parents and say, we wanna let you know that your daughter, your son came to faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? They sometimes look at us like we have like three eyes. I mean, they look at you like you're completely insane. And, and Chris, unfortunately, unlike you guys who are excited and are like, we wanna continue nurturing this relationship. Sometimes they're like, well, that's not what we believe. We're not going to follow up in that process. And folks, it's, it's sad to see, but so many people do not have a nurturing home, a parent or a grandparent that comes and takes them under their wing and, and trains them. When it comes to children, make sure you're building stepping stones to Jesus. Make sure you're leading them by example. But uh, the things that come out of our mouth, the places we go, the things that we do, we're leading them into a closer relationship with Jesus. Thirdly, we see it's easier to come to Christ as a child. Jesus said in verse 14, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He took them in his arms, verse 16, and laid, laying his hands on them. The very best time for a person to come to Jesus is as a child. As a child. I'm often asked how old a child needs to be to accept Christ as their Savior. They need to be old enough to understand that they are a sinner and that Jesus Christ loves them so much that he died on the cross for their sin. For me, I accepted Christ at the age of five years old. And I've mentioned many times as a PK, as a pastor's kid, growing up in church for nine months before I was born, uh, you couldn't go through uh, my life and not be bombarded with the gospel. I mean, it was just constantly, you know, every single day you're getting to know how what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished on the cross and rising from the grave. And, you know, uh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that we're sinners, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And, 
And, but when a child reaches that age of five, six, seven, or eight, they get to that point where they begin to understand right from wrong. It's at that moment they've reached that age of accountability for all of four of my kids, five, six, seven years old, each one of them on their own through mom and dad praying over them, teaching them, taking them to church, leading by example, they prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's no greater joy as a parent than to hear your kids walk in truth. There's no greater joy as a, as a parent to, than to lead your child into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's so important. The easiest time for people to come to Christ is when they're children. George, George Barna uh, did a, some research a few years ago, and it says in America... 50% of Christians come to know the Lord by the age of 13. 50%. It's even higher. 64% come to uh, Christ before the age of 18. 77% who accept Christ in, a, in the U.S. do so before the age of 21. And only 23% of Christians in the U.S. came to Christ after the age of 21. I wonder this morning, how many of you accepted Christ before the age of 13? Lift your hands. Before the age of 13, you accepted Christ. Look across the room. Probably almost two-thirds. How many, uh, keep, okay, actually keep your hands up. How many uh, before the age of 18 also raise your hand and join in with those, okay? The majority of those in the room were saved by the age of 18 years old. Now you see the value of, of children's ministry, of kids' blasts, of, of teaching these kids how to have a personal relationship. There you see the value of the preschool. And, and these kids are coming to preschool every single day. They're singing songs like Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He loves every single one of them. So we're teaching them how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Parents, grandparents, if you have kids in your family, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, you ought to be sharing the good news of the gospel, how to have a personal relationship, because they're at the ripe age where many of them will understand and choose to follow Jesus with their life. Folks, some parents will say, you know what, I'm just going to kind of take a hands-off approach. I don't believe you should brainwash your children. I just believe you should just kind of let them figure it out as they go. Have you done that with school? How'd that work out for you? I, I remember when our twins were in fifth grade, and the show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Not in math. I mean, not in science. I mean, some, some of these schools, I'm like, what in the world? I mean, I don't even know where this came from. And we're calling my brother-in-law, Josh, saying, hey, can you do some tutoring on the side? Uh, but, you know, the reality is, is that you've got to, you have to teach them. Uh, you don't get a beautiful garden like the Callahans have back here without lots of hard work. They have researched the right kinds of tomatoes to grow, the right kinds of peppers or green beans and corn and they have mastered what it means to be gar a, a true gardener. And I get my tips from them. Why? Because they've proven they know what they're doing. And over here on this side, if, if, 
I hired someone to, to treat my yard and for weeds. Why? Because I want it to look good. And, and when I cut the grass, I want the little stripes to be just perfectly uh, cut and in a, in a perfect line. And I, I cut it one way one week and the other way the next week. And I want that checkerboard look. I'm, I'm OCD. I've, I admit that. I, I tell you all that. But folks, it doesn't happen by chance. It happens when you put the time in and invest. Kids don't find out about God and choose to follow Christ by taking a hands-off approach. No, we have to teach them the word of God faithfully. And then fourthly and lastly, to enter the, uh, God's kingdom, we must thank like a child. Verse 15 says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. It takes a childlike faith. You may not be a parent or a child, but you're wondering if God has a word for you. The only way any one of us can come to faith in Jesus is to have a childlike faith. You say, what does that mean? A child, you can tell them something and you can explain it to them and all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and you ever see that with a child? It's like they, you're working, helping them uh, do a, a problem in, in math or science or what, and you're explaining a concept, and all of a sudden, the light comes on. They're reading a book. Connor, you like to read, and you're reading a book, and all of a sudden, like, the light comes on, and you're just like, it's exciting. But folks, when kids understand what Jesus did for them, and how he died, he was buried, and he rose again, when that light comes on for a child, it's the greatest feeling in the world. It takes a childlike faith. Some of us make the gospel too complicated. We're trying to say, well, I've got to do something. I've got to earn it. I've got to do all these good deeds. I've got to join the church. I've got to get baptized. I've got to give money. I've got to serve and all. I've got to help the poor and the homeless and the needy. No, you have to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It's so simple. A child can understand. It takes that type of faith. It requires a sense of awe and wonder. It requires us to understand who God is and that sense of, of awe. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson wrote about going into his grandson's bedroom one day and he was seeing the child worshiping the sunbeam that was shining through the window on his bedpost. He says, the longer we live, it seems we lose that sense of awe and wonder. It also requires a simple trust, a simple trust. Too often, we like to make things too complicated, and theology is, is deep. But folks, we're not saved by theology. We're saved by grace through faith in what Jesus already accomplished 2,000 years ago on the cross. And folks, it's a simple trust in God. And folks, when we're a child, we don't have to worry about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, our parents' Are providing those things for us. We don't have to think about those things. It requires a simple trust. But also requires a spirit of forgiveness. As adults, when someone injures or wrongs us, oftentimes we're slow to forgive. We tend to carry a grudge. Well, pff, tell you one thing, she won't cross me again. Are we not there? Do we not do that sometimes? But with a child, you ever notice how they can have a little spat and they pack up their toys and they go home. And about 20 minutes later, they kind of come to their senses and 
they're just kind of like wandering back into the yard and, you know, testing the boundaries, so to speak. And in about 30 minutes, they're back out there playing. It's like nothing ever happened. It's that spirit of forgiveness of, it's okay. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have taken that. Kids are quick to forgive. They don't carry grudges. They, they can't be fussing for too long. And, and ultimately, they go out and play again. When we ask God to allow us to think like a child and be quick to forgive and, and realize that Jesus Christ ultimately is the one who forgives us of our sins. So, Pastor, what's the application? Jesus saw the importance of ministering to children. He saw the value, and he said it's important to value children and youth and college ministries. Folks, we have a, a, a privilege, we have an opportunity we have a huge responsibility to minister to our kids, to our youth, to our young adults, our college students, and to minister and share the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. Folks, we have a responsibility to teach them how to have a relationship with God. Every Sunday, we have the same opportunity to impact and influence children and youth. Let's welcome them with open arms. I know churches that look at young people with disdain. They're like, I'm telling you, they come in, they got their ripped jeans. Their music is loud. They're... You know what the opposite of having that opportunity is? It's dead. It's dead. You ever pass a church that has 10 times more people in the graveyard than they do on the inside of the church? That's a church that's dead that's dying, that's no longer reaching its community, that's no longer reaching the next generation. I don't know about you, but I'm excited when I see a kid come in with ripped jeans or a hat on backwards and you say, well, I'm telling you, back in the day, we would have never, no, we probably wouldn't have. It was a different time. But the reality is today, we're reaching the next generation. We're reaching young people who God is sending through our doors I just talked to a family just a few moments ago, and they said, hey, our, our kid goes to preschool here, and, and we thought we'd come and visit on Sunday. Thank you. Thanks for coming, and we want to minister to your whole family. We love you. We're excited about teaching the truths of God's Word every single Sunday. Those volunteers that are serving in kids' ministry, thank them. The ones that just are right now changing diapers for parents who are going to pick up their kids in about seven or eight minutes. They're doing so so that you can sit in here and know that Jesus Christ loves you. He died on the cross for your sin. Mom and Dad, you have a responsibility to teach your kids about Jesus Christ. He's not annoyed. In fact, he would sit there all day long and talk to kids. I love when I get a chance to talk to kids. This morning I was asking someone what their names are. I love to see the excitement as they get to talking about their world. What's important? What grade they are in, in in school? What? How old they are? How old their siblings are? And folks, we have an opportunity to teach them that Jesus Christ loves them. It's a small world after all. We have an opportunity to point the next generation toward a relationship with Jesus. Let me encourage you, moms and dads. Don't take that for granted. Don't leave that up to the youth pastor or the children, the kids director, to to do that. You allow them to come alongside of you and do the job that God is equipping you to do as a father, as a mother. Grandparents, come alongside those kids. 
Don't be overbearing, but you lead them. You encourage them. You help lead the way by example and, and pour into those grandkids. Allow them to see, hey, Grandma thinks this is cool. Papa thinks this is cool. They get to see, and they, folks, your excitement will spread to them. Your excitement will carry over. And the joy you'll see watching your grandchild get baptized one day, seeing those children dedicated to the Lord as a parent-child dedication next month. Folks, it's an opportunity for them to grow in their relationship. But then, church as a whole, why not get involved in children's ministry? You saw the hands. 70-some percent of the church got saved before the age of 18. You want to be in a ministry that's reaching people? Work in children's ministry. I'm telling you, there's always a need. And, and folks, as people are moving in to all these houses, are you, are you looking outside the church now? <laughs> you paying attention? Remember those prayer walks we did in these neighborhoods right around here? In the next few weeks, people are going to be moving in by the hundreds and thousands. Two Sundays ago, I met a family and said, we just moved into Legacy Farm. I was like, we've already prayed over that neighborhood. We've already been there. We, we're praying for God to give us inroads to reach people in that community. Next door, Rand Village, we're praying for God to, to allow us to see people saved. Folks, what happens is we're praying that God opens the door and allows us to be a light in this dark world, in the schools, in our neighborhoods, that God would use us to impact the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Won't you join us in this process? Heavenly Father, Lord, would you move in our hearts this morning?